Hello, this is Mrs B. I'm here today to talk about elasticity to make sure our Year 11s are ready for our assessment this week. I strongly suggest while you're revising that you get out your syllabus and check the syllabus points to make sure you've covered everything off. Okay, so let's get started. So we basically now are starting to look at the responsiveness of demand or supply to a change in another factor, be it price or in the case of demand, income or the price of another good. So we've identified there are four main types of elasticity. There's price elasticity of demand, which I'm going to refer to in this podcast as PED. There is price elasticity of supply, which I'll refer to as PES. Income elasticity of demand, which is YED, because in I is investment in economics, so we use Y instead. And cross elasticity of demand, which we call XED. So we've understood now about the relationship between price and quantity for both demand and supply. So in demand, the relationship between price and quantity is inverse. And for supply, the relationship is positive. What we want to know now is how much demand and supply responds, because we know which direction it will respond in, but we want to understand the responsiveness so we can start to predict what would happen if prices change. So we'll look first at price elasticity of demand. So this is measuring how demand changes when price changes. So it measures the responsiveness of quantity to a change in price. And depending on how responsive or unresponsive it is, depends on the level of elasticity. Income elasticity, or YED, is basically measuring how quantity demanded changes when our income changes. And we'll use that to look to identify different types of goods. Cross-elasticity, or XED, this shows us the demand for good B how that changes in response to a change in price of good A. So for a substitute good, the XED value will be positive because as the price for good A increases, the demand for product B will also increase as we substitute. For complementary goods, XED is negative. As price of good A increases, This will cause the demand for good B, the one we buy with good A, to decrease as well, hence the negative figure. And if the figure you calculate is zero, this tells you that the goods are totally unrelated. So when the price of good A changes, it doesn't impact at all on the demand for good B. And lastly, price elasticity of supply. This is measuring the responsiveness of the quantity supplied to changes in price. Okay, so let's look uh, in a little more detail at PED. So lots of people are interested in understanding about PED, other than economists, that is. Obviously, we're very interested. Businesses have a strong interest to know about PED because it allows them to make predictions of what will happen to their revenue. Remember, revenue is price times quantity. So they'll be able to predict what will happen to that value as their price increases and decreases. So think about if you had your own business, you'd want to know what the elasticity of your product is so you would know what was the best price to maximise your revenue. Governments are extremely interested and people in the Treasury work on PED all the time. They want to know if they put the price up of certain products that they tax, 
like cigarettes, what would happen to the tax revenue? So how much can they put the price up and still increase their revenue? Okay, so we can measure PED in one of two ways. The first method is what we call the point method. And to do this, there are two formulae we can use. The first is that PED is equal to the percentage change in quantity demanded divided by the percentage change in price. Alternatively, we can calculate the change in quantity over the quantity and times that by the price over the change in price. Both will give you the same answer. Okay, this is called the point method because we're calculating the PED between two specified points on our demand curve. So depending on which two points you use will depend on the value you'll end up with. We can also use the midpoint method and economists find this more useful. This averages the values so that we're calculating the PED along a segment of the demand curve. So it's usually preferred because it gives us a more comprehensive view of the PED of demand. And the way we calculate that is we work out the change in quantity and divide that by the average quantity. And then we times that by the average price divided by the change in price. And that gives us the midpoint method. Be very mindful when we're doing calculations in tests that you read carefully which method is being used or which method you're being asked to use to make your calculations. It's very easy to misread the question and end up therefore with the wrong answer. Now once we've done the calculation we're going to end up with a value of PD and that value is really important because it tells us about the PED, what it means. So, for example, a PED of zero tells you that demand is perfectly inelastic and for any change in price, up or down, there will be absolutely no reaction from demand. So this means that the demand curve is exactly vertical. So the quantity doesn't change regardless of the changes in price. A good example of a, of a product with a in, perfectly inelastic demand is insulin. Regardless of the price, you only require a certain amount of insulin if you are diabetic. If the PED value is less than 1, this tells you that it's relatively inelastic. The, the reaction of demand is relatively small compared to the change in price. So a change, change in price of 1 will end up with a smaller than 1 change in demand. So the demand curve for this type of demand is very steep. A PED of 1 is what we call unit elastic. And that means that the change in price is equal to the size in change in demand. And it, a PED of greater than 1 means that it's relatively elastic. And this means that there is a large response in demand to a change in price. So the response in demand is actually bigger than the change in price and this means we have a flat demand curve so the the more the bigger the value of PED above one the flatter the demand curve will become if you move to a PED of infinity that means it's perfectly elastic it would be horizontal and there would be infinite reaction to changes in price which isn't realistic and doesn't happen in the real world
So now that we know about the different values of elasticity and what that means in terms of the responsiveness of demand to changes in price, an important element we need to look at now is how we can look at revenue in terms of elasticity. So remember that total revenue is calculated by multiplying the price by the quantity. So if we have a, um, a product where demand is price elastic, a fall in price will lead to an increase in revenue. This is because once, when the price falls, the increase in demand will be a lot bigger than the change in price, so we'll compensate for it. So you'll end up with a higher revenue. So if you have a uh, firm where the demand, elasticity of demand is elastic, the best way to increase your revenue is to reduce the price. If your demand is inelastic, so you have a steep demand curve, a fall in price will actually decrease your revenue because the increase in demand that comes about from that fall in price will actually be smaller than the change in price and therefore the overall impact will be a fall in revenue. So if you have an inelastic demand for your product, the best way to maximise your revenue is to put your price up. Now, in class, we've talked about... Um, We've talked about having examples of those two. So you do need to make sure that you can draw the demand curve and you can put specific values on the price and quantity to demonstrate what happens to total revenue. The last total revenue to consider is when PED is one, so it's unitary. A fall in price here would lead to no change at all in the firm's revenue. And this is because the change in the price is exactly matched in the change in demand and therefore the total revenue is left unchanged. Okay, so let's think about things that will affect the elasticity. So what will make something more elastic or less elastic or more inelastic? Well, the first factor to consider is necessities. So the more inelastic a product will be if something is uh, a necessity. So if you need to buy the product, it's something that you need, like, say, bread or milk or butter, then the elasticity will be much more inelastic because you're going to buy it regardless. So luxury goods have more elastic demand because they are more responsive to price because you don't actually need to buy them. The second uh, factor affecting elasticity is the number of close substitutes. So when there aren't many substitutes to the product that you're selling, the demand will be more inelastic because consumers can't swap from your product to another product very easily. So the more substitutes available, the more elastic the demand will be. So for example, chocolate bars, there's lots of different varieties, different types of chocolate you can buy. So therefore the demand for chocolate bars is very elastic. The third factor is the definition of market. And this is, how, this is basically talking about how we define the market. So if something is broadly defined, so for example, food, that is likely to have an inelastic demand curve because it's, it's, it's very broad. There aren't many alternatives. Whereas something for a specific product is likely to be more elastic because there will be lots of different alternatives to that. So, for example, if you looked at T-shirts, that would have an elastic demand, whereas if you looked at something broader like clothing, there isn't an alternative. 
The next factor is the time available for a consumer to respond. So the demand for a product will be more price inelastic the shorter the timescale available for a consumer to respond to the price change. If you have to make a decision very quickly, you will be much more inelastic. Whereas if you have a long time to decide, you can shop around, look around and see what else you can get, and therefore you will be more responsive and the demand is more elastic. The next uh, factor is the proportion of income spent on the product. So if a good, purchasing a good, would only take a very small fraction of your income, your demand will be much less elastic. Where, because it doesn't really affect you if you're buying a dollar chocolate bar. Whereas if you were buying a piece of jewellery for two or $3,000, that's going to take up a significant proportion of your income and therefore your de demand will be much more elastic because it's taking up so much of your budget. If you have complementary goods, so for example, uh, a bat and a ball, a mobile phone and a charger, the demand is likely to be relatively inelastic for the good B once you've bought good A because the two things go together. So therefore, if you've bought good A, you're going to buy good B. And the last factor to consider for PED is habit-forming products. So cigarettes, alcohol, gambling, they're all addictive and therefore they have a much more inelastic demand because consumers will continue to buy them regardless of the price. Okay, so that's it for PED. So let's have a look now at YED, income elasticity of demand. So this is measuring the response of uh, quantity demanded to a change in income. So we're going to calculate this by the percentage change in quantity demanded divided by the percentage change in income. Now, when you calculate this, you're either going to get a positive number or a negative number. Now, if you get a positive number, it's telling you that that is a normal product because as income rises, your demand rises. The relationship is positive. Now, that can then be subdivided into two. So if you get a number that's greater than one, a positive greater than one number, it's telling you it's income elastic. It's a luxury product. So what it's saying is as your income increases, the increase in your demand is a lot bigger than your increase in income because it's something now you want to buy. It's a luxury good. If, however, the YED is only between zero and one, but still positive, it now is income inelastic and it's a necessity, something that you're, still, you're going to buy, your income increases, so you might buy a little bit more, but you're not suddenly, for example, going to double your consumption of bread. If you calculate it and you end up with a negative number, that's telling you that the good is inferior. Because what that negative number is saying is as your income increases, your demand for the good falls. And that's what happens with an inferior good. Because as your income goes up, you buy less of it. So, for example, sausages versus steaks. As my income increases, I'll swap from the sausages to the steak because it's a better quality product. Okay, so who's interested in YED? Well, firms, for certain, want to know about it because they want to know when income's changing in the economy, how is that going to affect them in terms of their sales? Households are interested because it affects their 
uh, living standards and governments want to understand the impact of their government policies. Things like tax, they want to understand how that will affect our disposable income and therefore our demand. Okay, so on to our third uh, type of elasticity, which is cross-elasticity of, of demand. So this is basically calculated by the percentage change in demand for product A divided by the percentage change in price of product B. So we're trying to find out what the relationship is when the price of one product changes and, it's and the demand for the second good. And as we've said, if we end up with a positive number... That tells you that the goods are substitutes because as product A goes up in value, the price goes up, the demand for product B will increase because we'll substitute A for B. If we end up with a negative value, that means the goods are complementary. As the price of good A increases, the demand for good B also decreases. And if you end up with a number that's zero, it's telling you there's no relationship between the two goods. And on to now our last part of elasticity, which is our price elasticity of supply. So just like a PED, it's got two methods for calculating it. We've got the point method, which is the percentage change in quantity supplied, all divided by the percentage change in price. And we also have the midpoint method. So just like PED, we're going to calculate the change in quantity supplied all divided by the average quantity supplied. And then we're going to times that, we're going to multiply that by the average price divided by the change in price. Now again, just like PED, the, num the values you get when you make the calculation is telling you something about the elasticity of supply, the responsiveness of supply to price. So a PES of zero means that the supply is perfectly inelastic. There is no response in supply when price changes. So it was exactly vertical. And an example of that would be, for example, uh, the surfaces coming over to Australia and they're playing in Perth Arena. There are a fixed number of tickets, so the supply is perfectly inelastic. If you calculate your PES and you get a number that's less than one, it's telling you that the supply is relatively inelastic. So there are limited changes to supply when price changes. It's not very responsive. And for this, you're going to get a supply curve that is steep. An example of a product with an inelastic supply curve would be new housing because it's very difficult for that to respond to price changes because it takes a certain amount of time to actually build the house. PES of 1 is unitary, so they're proportionate in terms of the price going up and the quantity of supply increasing. And a PES of greater than 1 tells us that the supply is relatively elastic. It's responsive to those price changes. So this means we have a relatively flat supply curve. A PES of infinity tells us that supply is perfectly elastic, and clearly that, that's a theoretical position. So let's have a little look then at the factors affecting PES. And this time we have only three, whereas with PED we had seven. So the first factor is time. So you need to consider how quickly a supplier can respond to price changes. So in the short run, it can be quite difficult for suppliers to actually respond to um, price changes. For example, uh, if it's difficult to get hold of more resources. 
uh, or that the nature of the production process makes it difficult. But over time, supply can become more uh, elastic because suppliers can now respond to the price changes. So we must consider timescales when we consider um, elasticity of supply. The second factor is the nature of the industry. So, for example, agricultural products are actually very inelastic because of the nature of how we produce those goods. If the price, for example, of milk suddenly increases, it's very difficult for a dairy farmer to suddenly find a load of spare cows to produce more milk. So the nature of that product makes it an inelastic product. Think about um, manufactured goods. Yeah, if you're running, for example, a dressmaking factory, it's relatively easy for you to respond to price changes because you can just increase the amount of uh, time the production line is open or buy some more sewing machines to do that. So you can respond quickly. And the last uh, factor affecting PES is the ability to store inventories. Now, remember, that's a, a word we use in economics to describe stock. So if you are working, your company happens to uh, be able to store a lot of stock, that makes your supply re very relatively elastic because you can respond quickly to price changes. So if you've got a big warehouse, you can fill it full of stock, then you, your supply will be elastic. If, though, you can't do that because your good is perishable, it will go off, that would make your demand in your supply sorry, inelastic. So, for example, fresh fruit and veg, you can't stock loads and loads of that in a warehouse because it's just going to go off and therefore it's going to be no good whereas supermarkets do store excess stock of what we call non-perishable goods so tissues toiletries those sorts of things they can store those for months and months on end so that they can respond should the price change so that really takes us to the end of elasticity Hopefully it's answered your questions. Just remember, elasticity is all about the degree of responsiveness. And as, as economists, we want to know how does demand respond to changes in price? How does demand change to um, respond to changes in income? And how does demand change when the price of another product changes? And similarly for supply, we want to know how does supply respond? How responsive is it when prices change? Make sure you do the lots of, lots of practice questions that are on Compass. Uh, don't panic about Friday. Nobody's got anything to panic about. Be confident, enjoy it, and remember that the chocolate jar is fully stocked and raring to go.